Hey folks, it's Tony Russo from the So What's Your Story podcast reminding you that we have a monthly live event. We hold it at the Brick Room. It's usually the third Thursday of the month. This month it is the fourth Thursday, February 27th in the Brick Room at 7 p.m. People telling true stories live. There will be about four stories told. And it'll be a lot of fun. For more information, visit DestinationDelmarva.com um, slash one true thing. Enjoy the show. Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, the stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have our good friend and fellow author, Andrew Heller, who is joining us for another Writer's Roundtable. So in addition to our regular episodes when we talk with authors about their books, we also decided to have this Writer's Roundtable and talk about the writing process, the things that thrill us as writers, and the things that stymie us as well. Today, we're talking about how to ask for help when you're stuck in a piece of writing. So welcome back to the podcast, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Um, so earlier this month, we had a, a writing event in, at the Brick Room. We we're trying to have it monthly. And I heard, and Stephanie's story, which you'll hear in a little bit, um, was about her getting help from another writer. And I thought it'd be cool to talk about how sometimes when you run up against a wall, you need to find someone who has also run up against their own walls and say, all right, well, I know maybe you can't get me through my wall, but how did you, how did you get through or over or under yours? Um, and the story was really compelling, but also I'd like to talk a little bit about like the motivation behind, like when do you know that, all right, enough's enough. I, I can't do this on my own. Yeah. I think for me, with the piece that I was writing and, and what I talk about in, in this story that I, I read at uh, One True Thing was the book that I'm writing is so important to me and I, I'm so invested in it that when I got stuck, I thought about quitting and my nature, I'm not a quitter. I'm a competitive person. I'm, I'm, you know, I see things, I try to see everything to its finish, but with this piece, I, I got to a place where I truly considered quitting and that was how I knew I needed help because I didn't want to quit, but I felt like quitting was the only viable solution because it, <laughs> right. nothing was working, you know? There's no other choice. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, my my problem is I usually just yeah all right well this is I'll 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 set it aside and and hope to come back to it but I never do you know that's, that's why I have I've got a drawer with about nine thousand things in it definitely where where okay I'll get back to this because I'm I'm just either too emotionally involved and I can't I can't get there yet or I've just lost where I am with it and and the passion's gone and the worst thing about that is. Like, if it's something you have to get out, then you're like, oh, God, this is just going to be bad. Yeah. And, yeah. And that's, and, where, and that's where I was. That's because, the worst part about it. Yeah. And that's where I was because I've told everyone and their brother and their sister who will listen that this book is happening. You know, I've commissioned a, a book designer, a, bo a book cover designer. I've talked with everybody. I've worn my friend's patience thin. I've worn my wife's patience thin, um, you know, with it. So it's... Your mom's so, got her book group. I know. And my mother is, you know, constantly, when is it coming out? When is it coming out? So I don't have the option to quit, but I wanted to quit. And that was when I knew that I had to find some way through 
because I was not willing to turn in a bad piece. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just unacceptable. Right. Quitting would have been more acceptable than turning in a bad piece. So I really just felt like I had to find something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had conversation not too long ago about something similar. You know, the idea of you'd rather not do it than do it poorly. Right. Yes. So when you went to Barbara to, for for help, like, did you say, "Hey, I need help"? How did how did you how did you choose who to ask, and how did you approach them to ask them? Well, the way that it, it kind of came, way that whole day came about for me was a couple days prior to that. We had had um, a chapter meeting of the Lower Eastern Shore chapter of the Maryland Writers Association, of which I'm the president, and Barbara Lockhart is a member. And we had a meeting that time, and it was actually a pretty big meeting. Um, and I was stuck at that point, and I remember I was running the meeting, and we all kind of got to a point where we were just kind of chatting or whatever. And I said to the group who was present, I said, how do you guys beat writer's block? What do you do? And I figure I'm sitting in a room with about a dozen or 15 other writers. Maybe they can give me something that I can try, you know, to to get through this block. And everybody was kind of chiming in what they do, how they do it, what they do. And, and so I remember I literally just took notes and, and said, I mean, because I, I was desperate. I was willing to try anything to try to get this piece, you know, salvaged. And at the end of the meeting, um, Barbara Lockhart, who in my estimation is the best living writer on Delmarva, hands down. She is the best. And she is a dear person. And I think the world of her. And she approached me after the meeting and she said, Stephanie, you know, if you want to come by the the farm sometime and just bring your writing and I won't bother you and you can just sit there and and maybe you just need to change a, you know, change a place, change a scenery Mm. to try to get things jump started. And I was like, holy smokes, I get to go hang out at Barbara Lockhart's house (laughs) for the day and, you know, and just hang out with her and just try to like, you know, when she's around, I try to osmosis her talent. Right. I just am like, leak it to me, Barbara, you know. Um, And so when she invited me, I said, absolutely. So I just took a day off work and I drove up there. So that was kind of how it happened. But picking her was a no-brainer because I see a lot of what I would like my writing to be in her writing. Mm. She's very lyrical. She has a mastery of how she moves her reader through a sentence, the imagery that she uses, just the way that she writes to me really speaks to the way that I would like my work to come across on the page. Mm -hmm. So... I really respect her and admire her her craft quite a bit. So she was a natural choice. So that's kind of how that kind of whole moment coalesced for me. It's it's cool, but I, my, my are you ever worried about asking for like direct help? Like you know, what if like are are you worried about getting a no or any of those things? No, I I am the first person to tell you that. I have a lot to learn and I don't know what I'm doing and I'm the first one to to reach out for help. I mean, there have been so many times that Andrew and I have sat at this same table and I've <laughs> picked his brain and been like, Andrew, I don't know what I'm doing. And he's like, neither do I, but we just keep ah, but doing we it. Figure it out. <laughs> yeah. But I think you go to people that you trust. I mean, even yes. if they don't necessarily, like I say, I don't know what I'm doing. Steph says she doesn't know what she's doing, but clearly I think Stephanie does know what she's doing. Mm. Um but you have to have have that trust in the person when you are writing, especially about something you're so passionate about or so close to, so emotionally invested in, you know. And, and Barbara is certainly a person that that I trust, that you definitely trust. But you're not going to go to just anyone with that 
something that is so close to you, you know, because you need it to be right. And you can't just take any person's advice on it, you know. And and that's and that's what's tough because you also don't learn that until it's too late. Um, dealing with editors, I've dealt with editors for most of my professional life, all of my professional life. <laughs> um, <laughs> and there is a difference between an editor who wants you to tell their story and an yeah. editor who wants your story to be better. Correct. And I think that makes me good at helping other people because I'm very sensitive to trying to figure out where they're going and saying why they're not getting there for me mm-hmm. as opposed to saying this is the this is the story that you should write um because when i get when i get feedback when i get feedback it's the only thing it reinforces is that i haven't made anything clear is that you? <laughs> <laughs> it's just that i suck that's all <laughs> oh, that's so bad you think that you just improved it that's the worst feeling in the in the world um, do you have a do you have a similar experience do you have people you go to or what's your i t- i do have a handful of people that i that i definitely go to and i think for me it's i have to almost limit the voices we were talking about that with a client today who um, is part of a writer's group and they're, they're, he's talking about there's like 20 of them in the group and they all share their work and they all talk about their work and they all I would critique blow my the work. Out. And I just thought, Oh my <laughs> God, that's too much noise. It's too many people telling me, no, you need to do this. And then this person's telling you, you need to do the, not the thing that the other person told you to do. And it just, yeah, it's too much. And then. Yeah, I get distracted by shiny things anyway. So all those shiny things coming at me, my story's done. It's going in the drawer. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and then it's hard to dig yourself back out because yeah. you don't know where to where to start for real. That happened to me on this fourth book in the series of my young adult fiction that I that I do, the Samuel Smythe series. Um I had a very well-intended individual who was helping me work on the piece and they sent me back a chapter that they rewrote. And it wasn't my words, and it wasn't my voice, and it wasn't Cat, who's the narrator of the of the story. It wasn't that character's voice. And so suddenly it was not the story that I wrote anymore, and I didn't know the story, and I have not since been able to get back to finish oh, God, that's that horrible. book. And that's been four years that I've been struggling with trying to find my voice because that voice just got totally removed from, from anything. You're listening to So What's Your Story on WSDL 90.7 Rhythm and News. This week, we are speaking with writer Andrew Heller about how to find help and get help when you're stuck in your writing and to talk about the One True Thing writing event. I'm a huge mm. fan of, and I know I'm, I think I might be the only one at the table because I know you use Scrivener. I do. I, I like Google Docs. Uh, and what I like about Google Docs is you can make all the comments you want in the sidebar and not touch the text at all. P.S. Spoiler alert: You yeah. can do the same in Scrivener. Yeah, but it's <laughs> it's it's free and I and, and I'm cheap. It's true. <laughs> I use. I don't have to know anyone with Scrivener yes, to get help. I did that one deal with the one book, and uh-huh. the individual decided to rewrite everything. Mm-hmm. I did the short story for the event that that I sent to you, and you did those things, and and. I felt like that's that really useful. And I was nervous because I said, I said to Jeff, uh, our other friend who writes that I was scared because you did all this and it's like homework and I, I hate to do those things. And Jeff's like, I know you hate to look at those things and try to rework, but it was easy because your stuff was still there and you can tell me to go to hell. This there. is my story. And, and you're, like you said, you wanted to keep my voice in the story. That was your goal was to keep my voice. And so, and you did. And that was, that was, 
surprisingly and wonderfully helpful. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a lot easier when you don't. I help my daughter sometimes with her homework, all of my daughters with their homework. Um, and they're in college now. And sometimes I'll write something and I'll say, this is my voice. If you can't say it in your voice, you can't, you can't use it. Use it. <laughs> <laughs> For that very reason. You know, you don't want to cheat, but you want to say, you want to say, this is where I think you're going. Yep. But if you're not going there, don't. Don't put my stuff in there yeah, because I'm there. wrong. I, yeah. I can be wrong about your story. You can't be wrong about your right, story. Right. So that's that was that's my my own personal experience is going back and forth with notes in this in the margins rather than I'll do like crossing out um like um for one of the upcoming uh for for February's a uh, one true thing I I use the strike through and again the strike through I don't delete it. I use the strike through. You can unstrike through it and we can still be friends, but this is what yes, I think. Yes. And, and I, I brought that to Stephanie because, because you had done that. And I said, I don't know. And, and, and I said, but then I'm realizing he's not my teacher. Yeah. He's just <laughs> someone who's helping me. Look at it this he's way. Not my teacher telling me if you don't do this, you fail. <laughs> no, you know, that's not happening. Just look at it a different way yeah. and see, and see if that helps. And if it doesn't, ignore it. Yeah. And like the, the, the goal is to, you know, is to, is to tell the best story. And I, and I think I'm certainly Andrew's story, uh, was, was I, I wasn't shocked because I had read it in advance, but the amount of feedback that I got on Andrew's story was, it was just, just very compelling, very well told. And that's what I said. I said, you know, when he tells this live, it's going to be. Yeah. I knew it was, I knew it was a good story. And I brought my, my mom and my, uh, my stepdad out and, uh, and I, this is like very not their kind of thing, but they were like, we'll go to support you and all that. And I remember turning around after Andrew was finished and I looked at both my mom and Meryl and I looked and both of them were just, I could see they were both emotional and I could see the tears in both of their eyes. And um, later on at the end of the evening, Meryl, um, my mom had gone to the bathroom, we were getting ready to leave and Meryl turned to me and he said, you know, when Andrew was reading, I felt what he was feeling. And I thought that is the whole point of the storytelling event is we have these stories, however, you know, personal they are, like, you know, that we were like, Andrew's was very personal, mine was very personal. Um, And you're kind of exposing this vulnerability about yourself to a group of complete strangers in many cases. And or people you're familiar with who choose not to be familiar with the experience you went through. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then to see to then gauge that reaction. And I knew that that piece had really landed when I looked at my mom and Meryl's faces and I saw that like they were really like, oh, my gosh, you know, and they were just. I mean, they, I could see that they both had a very emotional reaction to it. And I was so proud of you. You just delivered that so beautifully. And it was just, I mean. It's hard to talk about yourself. That's, it is. that's, I could talk all day long about anybody else, but to yes, read, <laughs> but to read your own stuff and have it be that personal, it is, it is that whole new spin on it. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Well, if you want to hear Andrews, you can go to so what's your story com and you will see the uh, storytelling event with Andrew Heller and Barbara Lockhart. And if you would like to hear Stephanie's, all you have to do is not turn this off because we're going to now listen to Stephanie Feller read her story from the uh, One True Thing storytelling event. My story is called um, Lima Bean Soup, and it is a story of uh, writer's block and finding a sledgehammer. Her directions were simple. 
turn left at the big old cedar tree or you'll wind up in the middle of a field. Purple and gray clouds threatened overhead as I took the exit towards Vienna, Maryland. The state highway slimmed down to a simple country road where farm fields and roads named after old men greeted me like friendly strangers. I passed by an honest-to-God general store. I made a mental note so I could stop by sometime, but not this day. I couldn't be late. Several days prior, I had received an unexpected invitation to the home of one of my favorite authors, and getting there was the only thing in front of me. The invitation was a lifeline because I was lost, suffering from the ill more commonly known as writer's block, that familiar and lonely frustration when a writer can't move a single word onto the page. The story, as much as you know it in your mind, refuses to take shape once your fingers touch the keys. It evaporates as soon as the ink bleeds from the pen. To call it a block is to equate it with a movable object. It is to underestimate its potency when, in truth, it is a haunting that will drive you to the depths, all ripping of soul and gnashing of teeth. And I knew the depths, my own depths, were close at hand. In what felt like a last gasp for air and answers, I headed to her farmhouse in Dorchester County. If anyone could talk me off this ledge, it was Barbara Lockhart. My eyes scanned the round top road, a black scar of asphalt dividing the sepia tones of farm fields. And then I saw it, a big old cedar tree denoting the entrance to her crushed gravel driveway. Like a proverbial X on a treasure map, I'd found the spot. Barbara Lockhart's home is a quaint, gray, clabbered farmhouse on the edge of a 22-acre nature preserve of tall pines and dotted with dogwoods. The stillness greeted me as I exited my car, slinging my messenger bag over my shoulder. Every bit of my writing, a Mac laptop, moleskin journal, a thick folder full of notes, was contained inside. All my fears and hopes, disasters and dreams nestled down in that worn leather sack like sleepy little things unaware of their impending doom. I stepped inside the front porch and knocked on the door. The rain had turned to mist, thickening in the air, and the cold was creeping up my wrists and burrowing under the sleeves of my coat. My stomach shivered and I waited. Could this be a place of answers? I could only dream. Barbara opened the heavy door and warm air rushed into me. She was smiling and immediately embraced me. Classical music emanated from a room somewhere deep within the house. She took my coat and disappeared into her kitchen, inquiring over her shoulder as to whether or not I liked lima bean soup. Barbara Lockhart, at mm-hmm, years of age, has built a respectable resume, an MFA from Vermont College, several traditionally published books, and a catalog of lectures and publications topped off by multiple awards and legitimate literary acclaim. She is a real writer, and she knows, and she, so, she, and she shows no signs of slowing down. Her style is lyrical, her characters are complex, and her stories stay with you. You cannot unknow her books once you've devoured them. And, for a sharp eye, 
there is one undeniable truth that always stands out. Barbara is a writer who does the hard work. Word after word and page after page, revision and edits and sacrifices, a lifetime of learning and process, boiling down fatty slabs of life to a useful essence over and over until there is enough oil to burn through the night. And that's what makes her good at the craft. It's the thing that makes me trust her. The hardwood floor beneath my feet was a lovely pecan color, pitted and pocked from the generations of families moving across it. Dark wooden paneling led up a creaky staircase supported by a white lacquered trim, just slightly reminiscent of a gingerbread house. Antique blue and white china plates rested in a cupboard in the corner near a small television. Paintings of the farmhouse and wooded scenes hung in ornate frames, while a beautiful stained glass window, left behind by the previous owner who emigrated from England and brought it with him, was a reminder that precious things can survive difficult journeys. Armchairs and Afghans. It is a house that feels like a grandmother lives in it. And for good reason, because one does. She told me to make myself comfortable. My bag slid from my shoulder and I followed, easing myself onto the sofa next to the fireplace. It was unlit, but the chill of the December air had left me. If we were being formal, then this might be a sitting parlor, but there was no such braggadocio in her home. Just as I relaxed on this sofa, Barbara reappeared in the front parlor, settled into a comfortable chair, and fixed her gentle eyes on me. I knew it was coming. The reason why I had driven more than an hour to her farmhouse was nearing the surface. The truth always manages to out itself. What are you writing? she asked. Where is your story now? Honestly, I'm struggling. I'm all locked up over this, and I don't know how to get it right. She nodded a few times. Then she said, tell me about it. And so I did. This was my struggle. I've been working on a story about my high school English teacher, Alice Davis, who was brutally murdered by her husband over Labor Day weekend in 2011. It is the kind of story that shocks small towns and makes for those panicked, bold headlines in, no in the local newspapers. It is the kind of story that rips you apart if you recognize the face next to that headline. For the book, I had started interviewing her family and friends, neighbors and former students. I had walked the woods where she was found. I had gone over and over the police reports and case files. The story arc was right there in front of me. But a serious problem had developed. I did not know how best to tell this story, and the emotional charge was running high. I was and will always be haunted by this story, and I knew I had to tell it or die trying, but the terrifying corollary is that I'm absolutely afraid that I cannot do it right and that I will tell this story in a way that betrays everything, especially Alice. There was a symphony of voices in my head saying things like, just write the damn thing already. You're putting too much pressure on yourself to be perfect. You can't edit an empty page. I know. I know. Early in the writing process, I had made the decision to withdraw myself from the book, not to put I in the narrative of the book. I wanted the story to be about Alice. I wanted the focus to be on her 
and what happened and why. So to do that, I reasoned that a third-person voice was the vehicle, remove myself and my connection. But after slogging through three long, ugly, disproportionate chapters, I realized it was not going well. It was boring and flat and mediocre at best. It wasn't working, and now I wasn't writing. I confessed all this to Barbara. I told her I was frustrated and tired. My resolve was waning, and I was thinking about quitting. I said, I am losing hope that I can finish. Maybe that's where you've gone wrong, Stephanie. You have a deep emotional connection to the story, and readers have to feel that, or else there isn't anything to care about. I think you have to consider putting yourself in the story in some way to show the reader what's at stake here. I listened as though she were about to give me the very secret to life itself. She continued by telling me how an editor once redlined a chunk of her text and asked her to go back and figure out a way to make her reader feel what she felt. Not to give the ancillary details of the story, but give something else. A reason for the reader to care about what she has to say. Another editor once threw her manuscript pages on the floor. I laughed. No, she laughed. I winced. But she said he was right. We all understand pain, guilt, loss, shame, these basic things. We've all felt them at some time or another. So the work is to connect whatever it is we're trying to say with those emotions in the reader. Otherwise, her eyes drifted to the floor. I caught the meaning. The wheels in my head began to turn. I could sense the creaking of rusty gears grinding against themselves. What if she's right? What if my mistake was to withdraw from the story? I mean, if I'm pulling back, then how do I convince a reader to lean in? I said to her, I purposefully avoided telling this story in the first person. I worried that it would take the focus away from Alice, and I didn't want this story to be about me. Well, she said, I'm not sure I see any way around it. I sat for a moment as Barbara resuscitated my book right in front of me, right there in her front parlor room. How could I have missed it? My instincts as a writer are and have always been those of a storyteller, not a reporter or a poet. And yet, in this story, I had been turning away from those instincts. A storyteller by nature is the voice and echo, the eyes and ears, the conscience of a tale. My writing felt wrong because it was wrong. It wasn't me. I hadn't written a single word of a story I would want to hear, not a single line in a book I'd want to read. Barbara was telling me in simplest terms, get back to your roots. This bout of writer's block had worn me thin, I didn't trust anything I was putting down on the page. In terms of my writing, I could not see the forest for the trees in front of me. I was a tangle of knots and self-doubt and self-pity. But what if it's all crap, I asked. What if nothing I've done so far on this book is any good? I'll be honest with you, Stephanie. Sometimes I have to write 28 pages of garbage before I get to the 29th page that I don't hate. But you just keep going. What else are you going to do? I sighed. 
She was right. Of course she was right. This was the reason why I drove to her farmhouse in Dorchester County. This reassurance of the struggle, this affirmation of voice, this comfort of our process. In the span of an hour or so, Barbara Lockhart had breathed fresh life right into me and my book, and I knew then I wasn't going to quit. I didn't have to. I had a path forward. So, she said as she stood up and turned towards the kitchen, lima bean soup and biscuits. I have water, coffee, tea. Water would be fine, thank you. And somewhere, deep within me, behind my navel and growing near my spine was an odd sensation. One I hadn't felt in a long time. Hope. So What's Your Story was produced by Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit us at SoWhatsYourStoryPodcast.com, where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Radio Public, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, take a second and give us a great review. Tell your story.